Hello, and welcome to ABS in Mind, the podcast from the staff here at DebtWire ABS. We'll take you behind the curtains of the asset-backed securities markets and the loans that they help finance. I'm Al Yoon, and I'll be hosting today. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to take a dive into the world of residential mortgage credit with a guest who's managed some of the riskiest stuff before, through, and after the last financial crisis. So today, we have Leland Abrams, who is the Chief Investment Officer for Winecoop LLC, and he also runs the Catalyst Enhanced Income Fund and also the Wikipog Structured Credit Fund. Welcome, Leland. Thank you, Al. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. appreciate your time here. I mentioned the last financial crisis, and now we're in another uh, stress event, to say the least, with the COVID pandemic. And in the spring, it was anybody's guess as to what would happen with mortgage credit. And for that reason, I think a lot of people assume the worst, uh, especially for non-agency loans. Uh, but it hasn't really turned out that way, right? Correct. And definitely, it appears as though the knee-jerk reaction was one of everything is 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 a disaster. This is worse than than the last uh, crisis, et cetera. But you know what's interesting? If you took a step back to actually look at history, ten out of the last eleven recessions have had minimal impact on housing. So whereby the two thousand eight, nine, ten Great Recession was centered on housing, and obviously housing was was sort of a disaster at that point in time, as it, as it became a speculative bubble, which burst. This time around is is more like historical uh, recessions with with respect to its its impact on housing. And if you if you look at the types of jobs that have been lost in this recession, it's mainly on the lower to lower middle income cohort, and those for the most part those those folks are not homeowners. So not only are we not seeing real negative performance in mortgages overall. You then have this urban exodus going on with single-family housing market on fire, not, not as in burning down, but you know, raging. Prices are, are, are rallying tremendously, both as a result of uh, you know, historically low rates as well as this urban exodus. So you have this fantastic tailwind fundamentally going on in the housing market combined with not really much negative impact on, on uh, mortgage borrower performance. And, and not only do we see this on the mortgage credit side, I do happen to sit on the board of directors for Front Yard Residential, a public REIT. And if you look at our our, our news and, and many similar companies, even on the rental side, the single-family rental side, performance is basically at or you know or close to records in terms of positive performance. So it's across the entire housing market, both mortgage credit, rental performance is basically almost as good as it can get. Okay. Uh, so when you look at things fundamentally, as you say, I mean, things are looking uh, pretty rosy for the housing market and, uh, and, and the, the bigger picture. But, uh, but still, I mean, let's examine, you know, the bond market uh, because, you know, I mean, there, there was still a rise in delinquencies, right? I mean, you know, yes, that's a great point. So I want to, but... uh, I do want to touch on, on that, on those delinquency numbers. And, and given our, you know, uh, I guess our political climate and, and some of the vernacular of today, fake news, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll use, yeah. I use that jokingly to talk about sure. <laughs> the way the media has never, um, never, never, never from Denmire, but uh, <laughs> but go ahead, of course, of course, no, but <laughs> you know, just sort of jokingly, but not entirely, in the way that the mortgage delinquencies have been portrayed in the in in media, I, I believe to be very misleading. So what you saw on average in March to April let's call it give or take six to eight percent of mortgages went delinquent through today the number is approaching two-thirds i believe that have actually cured nobody talks about that so while you have most of these guys have actually come back online and so what does that tell you it it suggests that people took advantage of the forbearance options why not right if it doesn't affect your credit the banks are totally okay with it. In fact, they're almost mandated to provide it, certainly in states like New York. Uh, why wouldn't you take a little holiday from paying your mortgage? A lot of people took that, 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 that option. So you had a lot of folks doing that. And, of course, there's, you, know, you can always find the um, anecdotal story of, of, of a bar owner, a restaurant owner, somebody who owned a house and, and actually is in, in financial uh, trouble. Mm-hmm. But that's not the pervasive theme. It's only here and there. So the pervasive theme was okay. mostly – you know, folks taking advantage of the uh, of the options. And now going forward, you have not only do you have foreclosure moratorium, you have holiday from paying your mortgage if you if you would like, uh, and then you have the housing market doing exceptionally well. So that gives folks who are in trouble a means to get out, and that means sell mm-hmm. and sell it quickly and at a very strong price. So what we've actually seen, we've seen some of these delinquencies turn into prepays uh, with not only no loss, but actually recovery. And I've seen that mm-hmm. quite a lot. So you have that going on. Um, you, you know, I don't think it's not like you're going to have uh, like a subprime community where you had, uh, you know, whole blocks basically foreclosed. It, it, that's just not happening. So we don't have that problem going forward. And those who are remaining delinquent, uh, you know, of those who have not cured, not only, you know, they have a lot of options, m- mainly you know, continued forbearance or uh, modification, et cetera. So there are, there's, there's a huge push to work with people and not just let them default. And again, as I said, if you do ultimately default, then the recovery is going to be pretty good. So for, for, the, for the investor, right. for the bondholder, you're not seeing any negative impact mainly. And if you look at the the way bonds are okay. trading and pricing, it's almost like people aren't even caring about the delinquency bucket. So on some deals, yes, you can see deals that have lower loan counts and just you know, adverse selection have had delinquencies you know, go from 5% to 30% on occasion, but they're not trading like that means much, if that makes sense. Okay. I did want to ask you, Leland, you know, in the secondary markets was there if there's any one kind of bond or or whatever that's been sort of attracting more attention lately i mean you know wh- i mean wh- where are you finding the nuggets in the market right now well you know nuggets? our hedge fund we do something very very specific and i'm not going to really go into a lot of detail but and it's it's an rmbs legacy rmbs just like uh, the cattle stand income fund but i would say one one theme that we definitely have going on is something I've been you know, just talking about. We really like fixed rate, all day season collateral. Um, and if you could buy some of these under collateralized deals at big discount prices, particularly low loan count deals, you can 
you can basically buy them assuming no prepay at all. So effectively, if you're buying, you know, the sum of the future cash flows discounted at whatever rate to mm-hmm. get your price, if you front load a lot of that cash flow from from prepay, the yields are considerably higher than than whatever you know people think they are. So that's been very productive for us, certainly over the last six months or so, as we've seen almost no loss and just gobs of cash flow. Um, front-loaded uh, on discount bonds. Not, not, not to put you on the spot, but uh, I mean, can can you give me any examples of any of those bonds? Or I mean, is that uh, you know too too close to the strategy? <laughs> well, you know, there, there's certainly. I'm not going to give a specific bond, but uh, you know, there's a bond that we bought it in the 50s that had a loan. It, we basically got you know 500,000 of principal, and then in the loss column. It was a write-down payback of another couple hundred thousand and interest shortfall catch-up. So, you know, basically, you know, you're not going to have that every single month, but in, in that one given month, it's mm-hmm. massive impact on that on that particular bond. So, the the great thing is that you don't have to pay up for some of that optionality. So, the market is still structurally inefficient and still has mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, upside in in different areas. I mean, it's certainly not the same theme like first week of April after prices collapsed due to a leverage unwind really at the end of March Mm -hmm. where it was just buy whatever and it was all going to go up. I mean, there's plenty of things we bought that are up 30, 40% in from, from April to, to July, to July. I mean, even, Mm -hmm. but by and large now, again, you have to go back and find certain themes that can offer upside without necessarily having to pay for it. So, you know, April was just buy whatever because it was just cheap on a spread basis. But now you have to actually, you know, get back in the weeds and do some work. Okay. And did you say you bought that fixed rate all day in, in the 50s? Yes. You can still buy stuff in the 50s? Under collateralized. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so if you think of it, if if a, if a bond has, if there's 100 million bonds and there's only 50 million collateral left, well, well technically it's principal mm-hmm. park and only be 50. Gotcha. Um, and is there? I mean, is it easy to find those those opportunities out there? Or I mean, um, you know, I know I know that that the legacy market is still pretty big. It is but, still pretty uh, big. It's it's um, you know, pretty buy and hold. Uh, it depends on how active you are. So this is a, another theme of ours that I think is 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 a differentiator. The way we manage, we're very active in the marketplace. And I, I really believe that those managers who opine by bidding and offering rather than pontificating from the peanut gallery are always going to find opportunities more abound uh, just as a result of their activity. I mean, the dealer side doesn't really care what you have to say. They only care about what you're willing to, to what price you're willing to transact, either buy or sell. Whatever you say about the bond, mm-hmm. it's like let's just agree that everything I own is great and everything you have is bad. And you know, if everyone can just agree that that's the theme, uh, then who cares, right? So just show what you mean mm-hmm. by bidding and offering. So actively managing bidding and offering is very, very important. So it enhances our our deal flow um, and and gives us insight into into market depth, market moves, market sentiment shifts, et cetera. A lot of people are buying, buy and hold in this market, but it sounds like, I mean, you guys are, you know, very active traders. 
We are on the more active side, for sure. Uh, certain investments we have don't necessarily lend themselves to active turnover, but it's always something that we layer into our management style as it's very important. And, and I like to use the analogy of imagine sitting on your hands right now. If somebody threw a football at your face, uh, you're either going to get hit in the face or you'll duck and get out of the way. If you put your hands in front of you, your chances of catching that ball go up dramatically. Same thing applies for trading our market. You mentioned, uh, you know, the opportunities and, uh, you know, reasons uh, to like the fundamental backdrop. But, uh, I mean, in the back of your mind, there's got to be, you know, some, you know, some risks. I mean, there always are. And, uh, you know, looking ahead into 2021, Leland, I mean, what are some of the things to, you know, potentially be be worried about? I mean, you know, the forecast is pretty bright for housing right now and for, uh, you know, delinquencies and, and, and the trends there. But, uh, I mean, maybe there aren't many, but what are they? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Obviously, there's no free lunch. And, and fundamentally, the backdrop, I think, is, is very sound. And I don't necessarily foresee fundamental issues uh, from the credit point of view. But that doesn't mean there are not issues at the bond levels. And, and a couple of issues that come to mind are, the market's obsession with callability. I think over the last six months, I haven't seen a deal called, a legacy deal. Meanwhile, you know, before COVID, it was 10 to 14 deals a month. So that's interesting. That's interesting because, and, uh, I mean, I, I know that, you know, one of the biggest, you know, guys to call out there, you know, the, the new residential, I mean, they, they did talk about starting up their, their call business again. They, they um, did, although I, sus I suspect it will be a muted version of what it was just based on what happened publicly uh, to them in in March. So obviously, mm -hmm. we can't speak okay. of the exact details, but I, I, if I was to guess or bet, I would bet that going forward, it will be a muted version of what it was. And, and so the problems I foresee are, you know, the fact that people are overpaying for call upside. So the bonds with the most upside in a deal were the ones that would be the most junior bonds, which would be the lowest price or biggest discount, or the riskiest, and therefore they would, as the market clamored for that upside into a call, people were significantly overpaying for that type of risk. So uh, effectively, some some folks get left left holding a bag there. That's one thought. The other thought is LIBOR cessation and what that does. Uh, from what I understand and what, what I see, I think about only 60-odd percent of deals have very specific language, um, and then there's maybe another 20 that have decent language and probably could be 20 or 15 or 20 percent of deals that have no language on what to do. So my guess is that your trustees don't like to position themselves in any risk capacity. So it wouldn't surprise me if all that stuff was held up in court figuring out what to do. And, and you're, again, you're going to have class warfare. Who benefits from low LIBOR at excess spread? And then who wants more cash today? So you have class warfare in the capital in the capital structure. You're going to have lawsuits, and and what's the trustee going to do? They're going to reserve the money. So there could be a bunch of bonds that just get shut off for a while. It's certainly possible. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a risk. That's interesting because uh, I mean we've definitely been following you know the the, the LIBOR or the you know the end of LIBOR, what's scheduled for the end of next year. And, you know, so, I mean, are you positioning, in, you know, your portfolios already, you know, in anticipation of, uh, you know, some of this class warfare? We are aware. Tranche warfare. We're aware. 
and we have our eyes on the documents uh, on what we own. So yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And and as far as the, the the trustees go, I mean they they certainly have come out and said that uh, you know they would be you know looking to the courts for guidance um, on on what to do in those cases where um, there is no fallback language. Um, I know uh, earlier this year we tried to find you know find out you know what was happening with uh, you know changes in deal language in order to be prepared for the LIBOR change, but uh, then, you know, getting all all certificate holders in one trust on the same page, uh, I mean, just seems not possible. If, if you look at the, so, the, if you look at legal settlements, those that had clear language got paid. Mm-hmm. Those that didn't, they were held up in court for a couple of years. Um, and then you look at deals that were called, uh, that had legal problems, you know, you had cash trapping reserves for a couple of years, and you have to go and try and track down that money. So it's it becomes cumbersome. There, there are, and that's why again why I say the problems are not at the I think the fundamental level of the homes and the mortgage borrower performance. The risks out there are mostly in the bond deals. You know, uh, I'm going to bring you back to to the fundamental side uh, because I was just reading, started to read the you know the street. Uh, uh, research outlooks for 2021, and uh, I did see that uh, J.P. Morgan's uh, research team is actually calling for uh, negative HPA next year uh, after a strong uh, appreciation this year. I'm not sure if they're an outlier or not, but I thought I was surprised to hear that after hearing, you know, a lot of my sources talk. You know, I mean, generally, you know, very bullish ways about the housing market. I mean, does that surprise you at all that uh, you know? Uh, you know, one of the large firms might be looking for, you know, a down year in terms of home prices? I mean, maybe, maybe not. But but I guess after such a move this year, you know, uh, a, a little bit of moderation uh, might be okay. I, I would imagine that the rate of growth would be declining uh, or the re- or the, the rate of um, uh, HPA increase would be declining, but an overall decline in home prices. Um you would need to have I mean, you, you, you would need to have rates go up plus plus the market get you know become inundated with people taking advantage of of all this home equity and selling. So it, it's certainly possible, but I don't think it's overly accurate. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't mean to make a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, you know, the you know I think what they forecast was uh, less than a one percent drop in home prices nationally. Uh, so that's that's not it's not a huge deal, but uh, I thought still it was uh, an interesting thing to bring up given uh, uh, how bullish most people are on the housing market. Let's see. So we've been talking about the the legacy RMBS market for the most part. I mean, Leland, are you looking elsewhere in mortgage credit at, at all? I mean, for either one of the funds that uh, that you manage, we do a little bit in in some of the RPL space at the senior level, but nothing really beyond that. You know, part of the benefit of us not running, you know, billions and billions of dollars is that we do get to cherry pick. So, you know, a lot of that just boils down to availability of of cherry picked assets and and size. I mean, on the RPL stuff, I mean, what do you see in terms of uh, supply there next year? I mean, I have been talking to some people and uh, given, you know, some level of distress in mortgages this year and you know, the modification programs. Uh, they think that we might see more uh, RPL 
uh, opportunities next year. I mean, would you agree with that? It, it depends on how you define opportunities. I mean, the the cost to finance them, i.e., the bond coupons and, and new issue RPL, are going down, down, down. So mm-hmm. it's from 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 the perspective of those who want to finance pools of RPLs, that's that looks to be more of the opportunity than uh, for the bond investor, in my opinion. Okay. And uh, you guys pretty much you know, stick with this the uh, the bonds, the securitized stuff. Yes, we we don't play in the loan space. Okay, great. Well, it looks like to be all the time we have today. So really appreciate uh, you joining us, Leland. Always like to take a, a deep dive, a deeper dive into the residential credit sector. And uh, you know, we don't always get to talk about the legacy market very much. So this has been uh, this has been great. Thank you very much, Leo. Of course, it's my pleasure, and, and, and as always, I look forward to talking in the future. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to ABS in Mind. If you're hungry for the skinny on asset-backed bonds, residential and commercial mortgage debt, consider DebtWire.com or just tune in here next time. Also, look to us on social media.